I've had the opportunity to provide coaching support for the past four years to this remarkably resilient family, which taught me so much, the kind of things that you may not hear anywhere else. Today's guest has used my coaching support for several years to help her family help her son, age 40, manage his alcohol use disorder. Several aspects of her story are inconsistent with the dominant narrative. No alcohol or drug concerns developed through high school, college, and in the 20s. The addiction illness did not develop until this person was in his 30s. Though her son had no interest in abstinence or in treatment, she was unwilling to withdraw her love and support and to let him hit a rock-hard bottom. With a record 90,000 overdose deaths in 2020, you'd think we'd have learned better, but most will tell you that recovery is impossible until the person wants it. She will tell you that's simply not true. She pulled together a multidisciplinary team of care providers, including Sun's individual 12-step-based therapist, a Johnson Intervention sober coach, and me, the family coach, using community reinforcement and family training and a harm reduction approach. While the different approaches can be somewhat at odds, they all added value and became key to saving this family and to saving their son's life. More than half of all who seek treatment for addiction also have a mental health condition such as depression, anxiety, or PTSD. When a patient has a depression along with addiction, both illnesses need treatment. Harm reduction is based on the notion that when a person with problematic use is not interested in reducing use or obtaining treatment, we take all steps possible to promote their health, safety, and welfare. By fighting to live another day, there's always reason to hope for recovery. Harm reduction can mean programs of needle exchange, supervised consumption spaces, housing, and jobs, all of which are really important. But sometimes harm reduction is about families getting useful help and guidance on how they can help their loved one who doesn't want help. Harm reduction is the main reason this family still has three adult sons. During Bob's five years of life-threatening alcohol use disorder, he never asked for any help to stop drinking. He had to be involuntarily committed twice. While a person declining treatment can be incredibly frustrating, this family continued to reach out and support him in any way possible. They never gave up. Three months ago, Bob got himself an Uber ride to his mom's doorstep, severely intoxicated. He asked his mom to call 911 to bring him to an emergency department, where he received life-saving medical stabilization, followed by rehabilitation treatment. After four years of hard work and family coaching support, this was the first time he had ever asked for help. It saved his life, and he's now employed and living in a sober living program. If you are concerned about a loved one's substance use, reach out for help today. Call 211, go to Al-Anon, or Smart Recovery Friends and Family. Message me at www.familyaddictioncoach.com. Welcome to Family Addiction Coaching, a podcast about families supporting a loved one with addiction. Each episode will provide insight into a real family's experience, what families find useful and not, what is available in the community, and what would help make their journey easier. Similar to what happens in our coaching service, we'll discuss how families have encouraged their loved one into recovery as well as their own family recovery. We'll also discuss harm reduction, an especially useful approach for those with no current interest in recovery. I'm your host, Patrick Doyle of Family Addiction Coaching. With a master's degree in social work, I'm licensed by the state of Massachusetts and comply with the strict code of ethics of the National Association of Social Workers.
My sincere thanks and deepest appreciation to our guest of this episode for sharing her story of family recovery. In order to protect the privacy of everyone involved, we are not using the family's real names. Jane, welcome. I'm delighted to have you. Well, thank you, Patrick. I'm very delighted to be here and to share our family's experience in hopes that this will benefit other families going through addiction. Jane has used my coaching services on a regular basis for more than three years, which allows our listeners to gain an in-depth, lived experience understanding of the ways families can benefit. Jane initially needed help for her to best support her adult son, Bob, whose drinking had become a serious health risk. Now, Jane, uh, for most families who request coaching, there has been a serious incident telling them that there's a big problem, a problem that they need help to solve. Can you give us a brief summary of your son Bob's pattern of substance use in the types of problems that developed? Uh, yes. He started extensive drinking and ended up going to several rehabs, ended up in emergency rooms, and even landed in a locked-up situation. We tried intervention. We tried lots of things that just never seemed to work. Bob never seemed interested in stopping his drinking, even after several rehabs. We were at our wit's end as to how to handle the situation. I believe your son's drinking became problematic actually fairly later than it oftentimes does, maybe at the start of his 30s. Is that true? Yes. He was not a drinker in high school or in college. He had moved to Boston after college and was there several years before an old friend brought it to my attention that his drinking was getting quite extensive. A few times that coming home for the holidays, he would be drunk. So that's when we knew there was definitely a serious problem. Can you describe what it felt like and the impact that his substance use had on you and your family? It was very shocking because it just kind of came about in a very quick way. Out of the blue. Yes, yeah. out of the blue. It was nerve wracking. It was scary, frustrating, and very sad. Nothing convinced Bob that he was having a problem. I was always very anxiety ridden, many sleepless nights. When Bob would come home for Christmas, I would be anxious about how he would be with other family members. He would come for only a few days, seemed interested in getting back to Boston instead of staying with us. It was always very nerve-wracking and anxiety-ridden. So it sounds like even though it was the holidays, maybe there was always a bit of stress or tension that accompanied them as well because you didn't know what was going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. It was definitely very tense. Yeah. I mean, his, his brothers would be very civil and include him in different activities, but it was also very tense. Of course, that's, that's not uncommon. Can you describe any other approaches you tried before deciding to try family addiction coaching? Well, for um, a while, his father had hired a, um, a counselor for Bob. That only worked for a short time. Many times, Bob would come to the session be, and be drunk. The counselor just 
was not having any success working with him, we decided we had to try another approach. That's when we decided to use your services with family coaching. Given the impact on you and Bob's father, it seemed like it would be helpful for you both to get some support in terms of how you can best support Bob. Right. That's that's what we both really needed was, you know, how do we handle the different situations that would come up with Bob? Now, did you ever try things like Al-Anon family meetings or psychotherapy yourself? Or were there any kind of family weekends? The treatment centers that Bob did participate in, did they involve the family much? Yes. The first treatment center he went to did involve the family. We were with other families for several days and with Bob, he was participating in these sessions. And that was the first rehab center that Bob attended. We both wanted him to stay longer than the first initial 30 days, but he did not want to do that. So that was really the only time that we were having any discussions as a family. And even those were very limited and it was not very personalized. Your family coaching is much more personal. Was it a matter that there was a general educational component to the family services at that center? Yes, that's that's what it was. It was more of a learning situation and finding out, learning about addiction, how it affects families. In general. In general, right. It was was not a personal approach. And it didn't really lend itself to hashing out that you and Bob's father might have had versus Bob himself. For example, you mentioned that you were hoping that Bob would stay longer than the initial 30-day period, but Bob was not going to do that. So as is not uncommon, there was a different perspective between family and the patient. Right. Very different. Yes. Did you ever consider trying support programs like Al-Anon out in the community? No, I did. I did not. What was your sense? Did it feel intimidating to you know share what was going on with your family with other? Do you think that that might have kept you away from the Al-Anon program? Yes, I th- I think that was one of the biggest reasons. Yes, and it just it wasn't something that I felt comfortable doing, and I I'm, I don't think his father did either. So okay. neither one of us, neither one of us attended any Al-Anon meetings. And sometimes family members might try some sort of counseling, psychotherapy kind of thing. Was that ever a thought or were you just kind of struggling to figure out how to how to go through this on your own? That's exactly what we were doing. Struggling, trying to go through it on our own, which was not very successful. It sounds kind of lonely. It was. It was very lonely, very lonely. That's why the family coaching was much more appealing to me. You know, having our own personal sessions with you, um, I found very valuable. As my family coaching is a unique type of support, I'm frequently asked by families how often we should be in contact and scheduling sessions. Can you describe how you decided to use my services initially and then how you decided when we'd have the next set of contacts? As I recall, there would be some periods of pretty frequent contact uh, when Bob was in a bit of a crisis. And then when things were a little calmer and more manageable, it was generally like a weekly scheduled kind of uh, situation. 
Yes. In the, in the beginning, we scheduled once a week sessions. And then there were many situations where things were very, um, maybe explosive is the word, or anxiety ridden. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. we had several other sessions that were more frequent at those times. There were some periods of time where we didn't know where Bob was, for example. He was, you know, living far away from you in a city, basically by himself, with no family close by. There would be times when he wasn't answering the phone and uh, you weren't really sure what was going on, but you had reason to be highly concerned. There were times when we were all trying to figure out how we could find Bob and determine uh, whether he was okay or whether he needed some sort of medical attention. Right, right. There were many times with those kinds of situations. If you've ever been in the position where you've got a loved one with an addiction and you can't track them down and they're not answering their cell phone and nobody around them has seen them for some hours or whatever, it can certainly be uh, very scary, very difficult circumstances to, to cope with. Oh, yes. It's very scary. That's the best word that I use to describe it. It's very scary. Nerve wracking, anxiety ridden. And as I recall, Jane, during those crisis periods where we couldn't find Bob, uh, we didn't know where he was. Uh, I remember like sometimes over over a weekend, we would be in pretty much continuous contact with each other, either texting, email, or maybe a phone call. We kept at it. We eventually were able to track him down. And uh, so basically we kept working to to try to provide for his safety and his security. And we kept working until we established that. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that happened very often. That happened a lot. It's not uncommon that family members may have different perspectives on how serious the addiction problem is or how motivated they may be to try to help. Did it take some effort to get others on the same page? I never really felt like I did accomplish that. I always felt that I was really the only one that was dealing with the situation. His father helped in his way. I think I became more educated in what addiction is and understood it a little bit better. His brothers were really kind of busy with their own lives and also lived long distance. So it was really something that I just did on my own. Can you take us to the moment, Jane, when you realized the coaching was working to help solve your problem? It was over a period of time when you and I were working together that I just started to gain strength and felt more secure in my different decisions that I would make involving my son. I just gained more confidence even talking to my sons about how serious their brother's situation was and still is. Mm -hmm. And it was very supportive helping me to gain confidence and strength throughout this time. From my perspective, it seemed like working together with, with you and with Bob's father and sometimes with Bob, sometimes we would invite Bob to join us for a discussion. It seemed like we kept working at it. We made progress. 
fairly early on. There were questions. There were, there was an arrangement where you parents were providing financial support to Bob. The one request that you had of Bob was that he participate in treatment and he give treatment a sincere effort that at one point we were in a bit of a log jam. You parents had the perspective that Bob was not fully participating authentically with his heart. Bob felt like he was. So there was the question of, and I know that you and Bob's father struggled with the idea of whether you should continue the financial support or whether you should discontinue it. And I recall that we had a family meeting with the three of you together with me. It seemed like we did come to a resolution. Yes. That's an example of one thing that we can do with the family coaching, which can be so useful. There could be a good reason to invite the person with the addiction to have meetings with one or two other family members to work on various aspects of their relationship, including things like financial support, commitment to treatment, commitment to health and recovery, sometimes opening up communication. Well, I know that in your family's situation, it was very positive. I can recall um, several family sessions with you and your son, Bob, where we had open discussions about basically whatever Bob was interested in talking about. The approach was we weren't going to ask Bob to commit to sobriety. Basically, the purpose of the sessions was to open up communication and talk about other aspects of life in an effort to gain understanding and to learn each other's perspectives, whether it be about alcohol use or about other areas of life. I recall some sessions where your son praised you as a role model of setting boundaries in a loving kind of way that you had done with him, so much so that he was emulating your modeling on that. He was trying to, to integrate that approach in his own life with his own relationships. Yes, I think when he participated in our sessions, I think they were really very beneficial to him. I think it was also, it was, you know, a positive experience just knowing that you cared about his situation and um, being his mother, of course, I cared very much and was trying to understand more about his ways of thinking. So those sessions were very helpful, I think. And I think he felt that way also. We started talking about harm reduction and your desire to maintain a loving relationship with your son, regardless of whether he chose to be involved in treatment. That had always been important to you. You were not going to turn your back on him. Also, along with that, you established some boundaries and some limits. You had a strong limit of not engaging in conversations with him on the phone when he was intoxicated. You got a lot of opportunities to practice that. I saw you get better and better at it. It seemed like you learned to not let it get the better of you. Oh, gosh, yes. That was one of the best things I learned, you know, among many things. Yeah, that, that's when I was talking about the confidence earlier. That's what I developed was more confidence in dealing with those times when I would get drunk phone calls. Right. I was able to um, say that I was not going to talk with him, talk to him while he was drinking. So it was much easier for me as time went on to to be able to do that. Yeah, it seemed like it worked. Yes. I mean, 
It definitely yeah, worked. Yeah, it, it reduced the frequency of, you know, how often it would happen that he would be calling while drunk. He would confirm that and he would say, Mom, I'm glad you wouldn't talk to me when I was drunk. You shouldn't. You're setting that limit brought you and he closer together. Yes, I guess you could say that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us what life looks like now that your problem is solved or on a path of being solved. What would you say is different for you now? What would you say you've gained from the coaching? And now, so do you think of this as a, a type of recovery? Yes, it's definitely recovery for me. I'm able to step away and, you know, let Bob make his own decisions about what kind of life he wants to live and not try to influence him in any way because it's, it doesn't work. And I've learned that, you know, it took me a long time to learn that. I'm able to live my life and enjoy the things that, that I want to focus on and not spend time focusing on, on Bob's problems. Do you think of your that transition for you to being able to focus more in your own life, live your life and have a quality of life? Do you think of that as a recovery of, of sorts? Oh, that's definitely a recovery, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Part of the recovery is to help the family learn to identify growth and positives, which can be really hard to see on your own. We're not seeing, you know, the dramatic Betty Ford, you know, recovery story. We're seeing, you know, you chipping away and your son chipping away at a really tough illness. Oh, yes. I think that's definitely major benefit of the family coaching. The positivity? The positivity, yes. Oh, definitely, yes. You always felt lifted up. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. You always made me feel like I was making progress, like I was growing, I was recovering, all of those things. And that's what helped me, you know, get through this. Yes, definitely. I felt just very good at the end of each session. You know, and very uplifted. It was an accomplishment, a major accomplishment. It wasn't until we had been working together for maybe a couple of years or so that um, I realized that you took copious notes during <laughs> our conversations. And yes. uh, so, so, so tell us about that. At some points, I would be asking and you would say, wait a minute, I've got it written down here. You came up with that idea yourself. Yes, I'm a better visual learner than an audio learner. You would use all these wonderful words that if I would write them down, I could go back and, and read them and you know, try to have them sink into my brain. And then I also learned words, you know, you would give me words that I could use talking to Bob. Um, right. Positive words to use with him instead of negativity all the time. You would also make use of the notes that you had taken down in between the sessions. You would yes. refer back to them. Yes, yes. That was really smart of you to, <laughs> to do that. I mean, it's a way of consolidating gains, getting more benefit out of it. You had found a way that, that worked really well for you. Right. Oh, yeah. It, it was the only way that would work well for me. This is tough stuff. It's, it's, not, it's not for the squeamish. 
No, it is um, not. And I want to give you a lot of credit, Jane, for a lot of things. You know, we've been working together, you know, going on four years now. We've gone through a lot together. I want to give you the feedback that uh, I've always been impressed with your strength, your courage, the love that you have for your family and, and for your son. And you never gave up on him, no matter how bleak things seemed or how worried you might have gotten. Sometimes you needed to take a break from him because of the stress. Yeah. That was a good thing to do, too. You knew that you'd come back and you you never gave up on him. I think to your credit with your family and Bob's father, I think that's saved Bob without your your tenacity, persistence, perseverance. I don't think he would be in a good a place as he is now. I see that as just a real strength and um, a mother's love for her son. So I I give you a lot of credit. It's not easy that you continue to stay with it to this day. So that's something that I really admire about you. And, and that's what has really saved your son. Well, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. I, yes, I think I think you're absolutely right. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing, Jane. We've got a lot to ponder over now, and this will be really useful for our families in the audience. And thank you for sharing. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You too, Patrick. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Family Addiction Coaching. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show. We'll continue to interview interesting and strong families as long as there is a need for this information in the community. Make sure to visit our website, www.opioidcoaching.com. If you think you might want professional coaching for yourself or your family, Patrick Doyle is available. Have a peaceful day.